Welcome to season two of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, author Emily White. I'm going to share a little bit about what we're going to be taking you through over a 12-episode uh, workshop series. So I'm a longtime entrepreneur and executive in the music industry. I'm originally from here in Milwaukee. I live in Brooklyn, New York now. And musicians kept reaching out to me to pick my brain. Um, I did not set out to be an author. And so artists were asking to get coffee and set up Zooms. And I realized I was having the same conversations over and over. And simultaneously, I know I'm no longer an artist. Well, I'm, I do a little bit of artist management, actually. But I, I mostly retired from artist management a few years ago. And the last few artists we took on for management, um, I was finding money for left and right. And on one hand, that's absolutely part of an artist manager's job. But on the other, if that's happening to national and international acts, then what about everyone else? So I realized that you shouldn't have to know me personally to have access to this information. So I wrote all of that down into like a 130-page book um, that went on to become an Amazon number one bestseller, which was very surprising to me um, because it was self-released. And what's really been heartwarming to me is artists pushing the book on other artists and sharing the material with, with one, one another. I've spent my career navigating the entire modern music industry um, and trying new platforms and gauging uh, if I feel that they help artists or not. So that's what the book is all about. And then I brought the book to life in podcast form, and that became the number one uh, music business podcast in the world. And I'm totally honored and excited that so many listeners have asked for a season two. And the information in the book and podcast is out there. I've just never seen it put in order from creation to execution or recording to release. And the music industry was set up in like the 1950s to confuse artists. So if we're trying to teach something that was set up to be confusing and we're, we're teaching it out of order, that would be like if any of you tried to teach a kid multiplication and division before you teach them addition and subtraction, right? That's going to be super confusing for the student, super confusing for the educator. So what I've done through this book and podcast series, like I said, is we're going to start at the beginning. You know, today we're going to talk about getting your art together and take you through the entire modern music industry in 12 sessions, um, which, like I said, is really a release cycle. And we're going to make sure you're not missing any revenue streams along the way. And when I, you know, decided to do season two and realized I wanted to do it in a live format as an interactive workshop, I'm like, well, where do I want to do this? I could do this in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. I could go to Nashville. I could go to LA. I really wanted to come to my home city of Milwaukee and, and help artists here, not only to hopefully help you guys out, but also illuminate opportunities that you know, on one hand, I didn't necessarily know existed when I was growing up here, but at the same time, those opportunities may not have existed because it was kind of in the early internet days. Um, so we're going to cover, you know, like I said, we're going to start with Get Your Art Together, take you through the whole series, and we're going to do it through a Milwaukee lens. And my intention is, is in a way that's applicable to other cities because 
how you pitch your music to Radio Milwaukee or the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel is no different, um, you know, for someone in Nashville pitching it to Lightning 100 or someone in Baltimore pitching their local music writer or in Albuquerque, right? So we're going to do this. We're going to take you through the entire modern music industry through a Milwaukee lens and teach you how to grow regionally, nationally, and internationally from there. So I hope that makes sense. Um, But the first word in uh, music industry and music business obviously is music. So there is no point of moving on to future chapters or future episodes if you don't have your art together. So that's exactly what we're going to hopefully discuss with Vernon today. So um, welcome everyone who's tuning in on volume and everyone here at No Studios. Thanks so much for coming and I'm super excited. And we'll also um, have time for questions at the end, but uh, let's see if we can bring on Vernon and and get rolling. Hello. Hey, Vernon. Woo. Hello. Love it. All right. So... We have Vernon Reed, who is, of course, co-founder of the Black Rock Coalition, one of Rolling Stone Magazine's greatest guitarists of all time, and also, of course, founder and primary songwriter for Living Color. Welcome, Vernon. Hi. Hey there. So today we're talking about Get Your Art Together. And to do so with such a beloved multi-genre artist, I'd like to start at the beginning. I know you're a New Yorker, but you were born in London. Mm -hmm. So how old were you when you moved to the United States? I was one and a half. One and a half. Okay. So moving forward. I didn't do do the moving myself. (laughs) So moving forward a few decades. How did your relationship playing with Ronald, Shannon, Jackson come together in New York? Wow. That's a really long story because you'd have to go back to when I was playing in local bands. And um, my, my journey in music started in high school. I went to Brooklyn Technical High School, which is really a school about industrial design and chemistry and all those kind of things. It's not a music school. But there were quite a few great young musicians there. I met uh, people that became lifelong friends. And um, I was part of a jazz workshop. And I had a teacher, a great sax player named uh, Dr. Gene Gee. And he played records. And uh, he was one of the first, that was the first time I heard John Coltrane and Mungo Santa Maria and music like that. And um, my my high school had a battle of the bands. And one of the musicians that I knew from back in the days, Miles J. Davis, uh, he became more known as Miles J. He was an R&B singer, he was a great violinist. And he had a band that featured uh, a young, an amazing guitarist named Arthur Rames. And and uh, he was a local guy who was also an incredible multi-instrumentalist. So while I was hearing records of great musicians like Santana and Hendrix, there were local people that I could see who were also excellent. So all of that was a um, big influence on me. Incredible. Now, the origins yeah. of Living Color. Yeah, 
began in 1983, mm-hmm. but really solidified in 85, 86. 84. Okay, 84. So yeah. to me, yeah. it sounds like you spent those years really getting your art together and figuring out your sound mm-hmm. and what you wanted to do. What was that time like for you? Well, I would have to say... It- Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It was a very challenging time. It was a very interesting time. New York at that time was filled with clubs and of all different styles of music. And um, I started hanging out at places like CBGB's and Danceteria and um, meeting like all these different um, musicians that were on the downtown scene. And it was a, it was a pretty amazing time um, back then. Absolutely. I mean, you really put yourself out there in the local scene and, you know, we're here in Milwaukee right now. So maybe it sounds, you know, intimidating in a way, or, like there's this bigger thing going on, but there's a local scene everywhere. So you put yourself out there in that local scene. And, you know, mm-hmm. for, for those that haven't, you know, CBGB's, I think is a clothing store now, unfortunately, but um, for those who haven't John been there. Barbados. Yes, exactly. It's a small space. It's, you know, the, this room we're in now is, is quite a bit bigger. So, you know, CBGB's, you know, although it's so iconic, was no different than, you know, playing at Cactus Club here in Milwaukee. Now that said, mm-hmm. as Living Color solidified, how did Mick Jagger come into the picture? Well, wow. So, because we had to skip around a lot of different steps because there were a lot of things that happened. But um, I got called upon to audition to play or Mick made a second solo record away from the Rolling Stones. He had done one called She's the Boss. And then he did the second one was called Primitive Cool. And then he was asking, looking around for musicians to play. And and I somehow got swept up and caught up in that in that audition process. And there were a few people. Um, Doug Wimbish was one. Kurt Loder was another um, um, that were that were talked to, mentioned me to Mick, um, and said you should hear this guy, and you should hear his band. Amazing. Yeah, and, and, uh, yeah go ahead. And he actually came through. And he actually he said he was going to come through, and he did. I love it. And I believe Mick produced some demos for you around that time. Is that right? Yeah, he, he produced uh, Glamour Boys and Which Way to America on the first album, Vivid. Incredible. And again, that was just from putting yourself out there, playing with different musicians, connecting with other people. I mean, it sounds unbelievable to us. I mean, I'm sure it was unbelievable to you at the time. 
It's the Rolling Stones. Oh, very much so. Yeah, very, very much so. It was, um, it was very unusual because, you know, I remember hearing the Rolling Stones on the radio, like millions of other people. And then I met him and, and that was just a weird thing to happen. You know, it was a weird thing to happen in anyone's life. It was a weird thing to happen in my life. But, but there were so many other factors and so many other incidents that had to happen. So the journey includes everything. You know, I, w- I had been in an R&B band and that was one experience that was going to have a record deal and, and that didn't happen. And then a friend of mine said, you got to hear this drummer. Ronald Shannon Jackson and his music was completely avant-garde, but he was so fiercely independent that he really influenced, you know, the way I thought about music. So there were many different artists and many different types of people I had to meet along the way and work with, like the poet Jessica Hagedorn. I, I wound up doing something with Peter Gabriel because I did a live, live guitar with a poet and that, I met Peter Gabriel through this one thing that I, you know, I wouldn't have connected the two. So it was a lot of different things that happened. That's exactly right. And I, you know, it sounds like you weren't setting out to meet Peter Gabriel or you weren't playing CBGBs. So this person saw you that would connect you with Mick Jagger. You were being true to your heart, your soul, your spirit, and playing and connecting with the musicians you were drawn to. Absolutely. It was very much a a process of meeting and, you know, meeting people like Bill Laswell, you know, meeting, you know, meeting some of the bands, hearing some of the bands that, you know, hearing the band television and, you know, seeing, having a friend, Tracy Wormworth played bass with waitresses, you know, so all, you know, Zach Alford, you know, a great drummer, you know, he's the one that told me you should hear this drummer, Will Calhoun, I went to Berkeley with, and that's how I met Will Calhoun. And so all of these different meetings, chance meetings, all led to what it became. Thank you for that, because I know we have some Berkeley students in the audience. So um, it was the exact same for many of the musicians in, in your life. Now, from there, of course, Living Color's debut album, Vivid, went on to become multi-platinum with you guys playing on SNL, opening for the Rolling Stones, winning Grammys, and so much more. So what was it like to go from the downtown New York club scene to the world stage, to the global stage so quickly? Pretty disorienting pretty disorienting it was pretty it was um i have to say it was um it wasn't an experience that i was really prepared for i don't think there are very few people who are local musicians who are prepared to suddenly find themselves on a 300 foot across stage you know from playing local clubs so we had to learn as we went along a hundred percent But I do think, I mean, you're exactly right. How could anyone mentally prepare for that? But I do think you were ready musically. And that's something I discovered, um, you know, in an interview with Michael Stipe. Uh, This was about 20 years ago when the strokes were breaking. 
And he was asked about that. And that was still kind of the early internet days. And he talked about, you know, he was asked about what he thought about the strokes. And he said, REM was allowed to play to bar in bars to no one for years. And that's what really made us the live band, you know, that they became. So that's why, you know, in my opinion, 1984, 1985 for you and Living Color and playing with all these different musicians, like, you know, there was no internet. Things weren't live streamed. Everything wasn't captured. So even though I can only imagine what that's like mentally to suddenly be playing these arenas and stadiums, I think, you know, I think it was so crucial that you had that time to develop as a musician because that can be very challenging now. Would you agree with that? I would say so because the whole the whole way a band comes up is utterly different now. That's the, that's the funny thing about talking about relating it to what people are going through now because there's so many more, there's so much more of everything. There's so many more clever, creative, talented competitors now. If you're, if that's, if that's what you're, if that's your thinking way, that's a way of thinking about it. There are a lot of people who do a lot of things really well. So what, how are you going to stand out? And I mean, that's the, that's a big question for anyone on the come up. And you, I think musicians have to dig deep and find out who it is that they are and find out and then really put themselves out there in that way. I mean, also imitating other people is a way to, you know, because there's a lot of imitation that goes on all the time. And, you know, that's also a pathway for some people. It depends on what your pathway is. I can't really define what any musician's journey is or judge it, really. You know, some people who just consider themselves entertainers can be great, can turn out to be great artists. And some people who who consider themselves artists, you know, um, don't connect with people. So it's a, and, you know, like think of an artist like Bob Dylan, you know, what was his, you know, and he, he kind of was influenced and or stole from everyone, you know, so. But he also went on to write these, these, these generational tunes, you know, so. You know what are you what are you all what are you what is the artist available to say? What are they really talking about? And does that does it connect to a few people, which can be fine, or does it connect to the mass? That's exactly right. I you know you said something that I think is so important. You know who you are as an artist, and you know I think you have really defined that in your career career at least that's what I hear when I listen to your music especially someone that really defies genres the way you do I you know there's so many artists out there that and don't get me wrong there's plenty of people that write pop hits or are pop stars and that's all great um but you know I hear from artists often who are writing music you know, well, what do you think of this? Or do you think this will be big? And you just hit it on the head. There's so much music art out there that your art has to be great. But to me, great means authentic and, and genuine. Um, but, you know, continuing along, you know, your career path, it's interesting that you used the word competition because your career also defines collaboration. You know, you've collaborated with Absolutely. artists 
spanning, you know, The Roots, DJ Logic, the aforementioned Mick Jagger, Rollins Band, Spearhead, Public Enemy, Janet Jackson, Mariah Carey, Tracy Chapman, Bernie Worrell, B.B. King, DJ Spooky, and countless more. So how do you approach collaboration when working with such a wide array of artists and genres? Um, I think one of the main things is to really listen to what the artist wants you to do. Uh, it's kind of like when I play, when I did so many different sessions for people, part of the thing is they re they're reaching out to me to to perform and bring what I what I bring to it. But it's really important to listen and to figure out what can I do to enhance um, the thing I'm being invited to contribute to? That's a, that's, a very important, that's a very important component. I did a session one time with Garland Jeffries, who's a legendary rock and roll um, singer, songwriter. And it was, it was kind of funny because I did a first take uh, of a guitar solo and I was kind of all over the place. And before the, uh, you know, about about eight bars in, Garland just stopped the tape and said, and he was like, Vernon, everybody knows you can play guitar. And it was, it was really funny. It was really embarrassing, but it was really funny. But it was like, cause I was playing something completely not in the pocket. And what it turned out to be was I kind of went back and really listened to what the song was doing. And it, it turned out to be, um, he had a song, I was, I was Afraid of Malcolm. And it's one of my, it's one of my favorite things I've done for an artist because I was still Vernon Reed. I was able to express myself, but I was much more in the pocket of the tune and he was happy. We were both happy at the end. I think that's such an unimportant lesson. Like what is, and I'm not saying this is easy, but what is right for the project instead of what you think might be right for the project or why you were brought, why you think you might've been brought into the project. That's such a brilliant example. Absolutely. So like you know, I said, I've had some yeah, um, really fun experiences. No, no, sorry. No, it's all good. So like I said, you have always defied genre as far as I'm concerned, setting the stage for today's basically genreless era. So when any sort of creative, I mean, disagreement almost feels like too strong a word, but I'll, I'll say it. How do you work through creative disagreements respectfully in a field that's rooted with passion, especially if you're coming in, you're bringing in punk or you're bringing in hard rock or you're bringing, you know, you're bringing in all these mm -hmm. different styles. How, how do you work through that? You talk about within the band, either as a band or in any form of collaboration. Oh, well, well, okay. So the things that influenced me were about the genreless thing mm -hmm. and mixing genres was like what the Beatles did in later on in their career um, when Sly and the Family Stone came into the mix. And the way that Sly and the Family Stone influenced an artist like Miles Davis, um, that was a big part of, of the way he listening to bands like War. And, and those were 
prime examples of how I heard music um, because these are all artists and, and there are many others that were just kind of bending the envelope or pushing the envelope. Um, some songs work. They, you know, like one of the things that we did early on on our first record was a song called Broken Hearts. And uh, I wrote, wrote the song about a breakup. And I, and I thought, you know, it would be cool to do something that had a feel of a country and Western thing, but I wanted it to have hip hop drums. And um, I brought the song in and I said, yo, we'll, you know, kind of knock a Bronx beat to this. And we did it and it felt great, you know? And, um, you know, the, but when you're talking, you're talking about disagreements. So some <laughs> songs um, may not work, you know, a lot of times, Corey, you know, Corey Glover has to sing the songs. He has to sell them. And he's gone along with a lot of my crazy things. But some things, you know, if they don't, I'm, I can't force him because it sounds, it'll be inauthentic. If he can't hear it because he, or the lyrics not moving him, then it's not going to work. Absolutely. And that's the definition of collaboration, right? Like you writing these songs and yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah, you got you to gotta know when to let your ego take a back seat. Do you think, I mean, I'm just speaking from a business perspective in my world of collaboration. Do you think ego should always take a back seat? Well, not always. You have to, pro you have to project yourself, of course. Um, I guess, yeah, it, you know, a sense of your, a strong sense of yourself is, a, is very important. But, you know, figuring out, are you doing this to, to push, the, to push the, the art forward? Like, or is, are you doing it really for yourself? And that can be a fine line. That can be a fine line. I mean, and uh, a lot of times that's, you know, figuring out how you work through conflict. I think the thing about conflict is keeping the conflict contained to the, to the uh, subject at hand and not having it bleed into other things, you know, like, you know, it's, instead of like, if, you, if you're unhappy, like keep talking about the thing that's making you unhappy in the, and, and as opposed to it turning into ad hominem attack or attack on a or name calling is that, and, and, you know, in a collaborative situation, that's where you really find out who you're dealing with. Because, you know, people get those kind of weapons from their families. People, that's how the, you know, the thing that they'll bring into a band or a production or a business, a lot of times it's how they dealt thing with things with their, they're the middle child and they're always pissed and that's how they deal with it. A hundred percent. It's, it's a, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a lot to navigate in there. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. so, so one last question about New York as someone who's seen a city that it's constantly changing change what does New York City mean to you mm. uh, I'll always love it I love it and um, as someone that spent a lot of time downtown it's a little bit heartbreaking I'm, I'm, you know, and, and part of it is, 
I mean, the pandemic has been a part of it, but a lot of the, you know, like I go downtown to Aston Place and, the, you know, the Cuban Aston Place doesn't turn anymore or there is no longer a St. Mark's books, you know, so I, I don't want to just boo-hoo about it. But, you know, the city always has always changed. It will always will change. And um, for myself, it's it's um, it's very bittersweet. Mm-hmm. It's very bittersweet. I actually um, went to see Annie DeFranco mm-hmm. um, at Webster Hall. And Webster Hall was used to be the Ritz. And it was a great, great, great show. And um, I got to meet Annie DeFranco. And we have um, the poet and educator Sekou Sundiata in common. You know, he was like a mentor to me. And at one point, he was a teacher of hers. And uh, my friend Andre Trumley, you know, is a great, you know, technician, guitar technician. You know, he was working for Annie DeFranco, and that's how I came to mm-hmm. go to the show. So going into Webster Hall, which was the Ritz, you know, where I saw Black Flag for the first time, it's a very, it was a very moving experience to see a great show in that room, and that that room, even though it has another name, still exists. Good. I'm happy to hear that. That's one of my favorite venues in the world. So I'm, I'm glad it holds up in your eyes. That means a lot. Yeah, it was great. So creatively, what are you working on now? I mean, I just saw, you know, you play with Living Color on Halloween. You had Paul Schaefer. You had some amazing um, guests fun. on that show. <laughs> that but I know you just got back from L.A. What have, what have you been up to? Yeah, I got. I just. I. I. I just got back from L.A. last night. Uh, I was part of this um, thing called Afro Bowie, which was a celebration of David Bowie's music on his birthday, and it included uh, Kamasi Washington, Georgia Ann Muldrow, um, you know, members of of, of Fishbone, um, Saul Williams. You know, so it was a. It was a fantastic. Um, it was a sold out show and it was, it was just a fantastic celebration of, of David Bowie as an ally to black arts. I met James Spooner, um, who really, you know, he was the, the, uh, started Afro punk. So it was a great, great evening. Um, what I've got going on right now, um, living color, we, we have a 30th anniversary of the third record stain, and we've started doing some re-records to do remixes. And uh, I heard one of the first, you know, Corey, you know, kind of got one of the first remixes done with this artist. And, and uh, I thought it was, I think it's great. Um, the other thing, so we're, so we're, you know, making plans to do some 30th anniversary shows of Stain. Um, in my own kind of side Career. I have a Vernon Reed album that I'm putting out out uh, on Mascot Records, and I'm getting ready to launch it to production. I've already started a bit, but getting ready to launch it to production for that, which is going to be another kind of all over the place affair. Um, so yeah, so there there are a lot of irons and fires. You know, there's re-recording some things, remixing some things for Stain, as well as uh, new tracks, original coming up with the. Uh, music for a new album. Amazing. Well, we are looking forward to all of that. That's for sure. 
And, you know, that's a perfect segue into the theme of this episode, which is get your art together. So as a songwriter, creator, and artist, how do you know when you're ripe and ready to record? Um, everybody has got a, a different process. And um, for me, I have a lot of different... Um, I try to record whatever comes into my head, a melody, a lyric, what have you. And then, so I try to set aside time. Well, the, the inspiration could come at any time, but it's important to set aside time for structuring, for, you know, figuring out, well, is this melody going to, can this melody go anywhere? Can, can, is this a more of a free associative thing or is this more um, a formal so a song about a subject? Or is it like a word salad that is all which can turn into um, can turn into something that's speaking to something in the subconscious or what have you? Um, and the same thing with music. Music and lyrics tend to be uh, sometimes they are they are together. Sometimes they're totally separate. Like you know, the the lyric for Cult of Personality was a, basically a poem I wrote with no music attached to it. Um, other times the, the words and the music come at the same time. And some songs almost write themselves and other songs are going to be works in progress that you have to come back to and, and focus on. And, um, and sometimes you have to walk away. I, I have to, I find that I sometimes have to walk away from them, but it's important to record the progress as you go for the record the progress as I go. So if I've got like enough for what I think is a verse then and I'm not making any headway, then I can walk away from it and then come back to it. And maybe I get a verse, maybe a chorus comes out, but it's important to have for me to have a few different things in development and, um, and then be ready when the answer comes. Sometimes it's like a problem that you have to stare at and then suddenly the answer um, comes through. And, and if I need to reach out to say, Corey, say I'm, I'm stuck, you know, then be able to reach out to, to, you know, other collaborators, you know, but some things are really personal and I have to work them out on my own, you know, and the other, the other thing that's a challenge when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply is to not censor, to not self-censor. And I, I don't mean that in an explicit, I don't mean that in an ex explicit way in terms of language, but uh, it's important to, to grab onto whatever comes and not necessarily, if it doesn't work, it, it doesn't work, but it's important to be open, an open channel for whatever impulse kind of shows up. I love that. Thank you. So you're someone who's had mainstream success along with an extremely hardcore and loyal fan base. I've seen them. I see them online. 
How are you able to tune out what society and or your fans might think and just focus on the art that you want to create that personal part you just, you know, spoke about? Um, I, I think it's important to have a measure of silence for things to come in. And also something like, like boredom. It's funny because we're, we tend to want to be stimulated at all times. And this is sometimes a challenge that I have to be aware of because there's always something to, to check out. There's always something to do. There's always something to binge watch. And it's so important to have um, moments, even 20 minutes a day, of nothing happening. Like, you have to, it's important to make space, you know, if not, if, if 20 minutes at, at minimum, an hour if possible, to just kind of, you know, just sit, you know, because a lot of times we're always doing, 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 doing. And sometimes it's very important to just be with the silence and then wait for the notion, wait for the thing, wait for the melody to kind of come in or just playing an instrument, playing your instrument and um, suddenly that's a riff that I can use, you know? Um, so I think it's important in, in, in so much there's so many things trying to grab at our attention um, that it's important to make to, 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 it is a stand against tracking to make silent space for yourself. Like during the sunrise. I love your sunrise post. Oh yeah. Like the, yeah. Like going, like I go, like, uh, you know, I took a, I took a break from it for January, but I do this thing where I would go, there's a, a spot I live in, in Shaolin, AKA Staten Island. And there's a spot by the water where I, I get the pre-dawn light, the sunrise or pre-dawn. And uh, it, I have a series on Instagram called sky now. And that's been um, incredibly helpful. Good. I'm glad I enjoy it as well. So last question oh, for you. me, and then I want to open it up to the audience. How do you know when a project is finished and ready to go, or is it ever? Um, you know, some some pieces of music or some songs, are, it's really clear. That, you know, you say, okay, I've got this many verses. I mean, it's 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 possible to know. I've said enough here. Like some things can feel like you could add another verse or what have you, but they're like little stories and little narratives. And if you're paying attention, um, you'll know, you'll know when a song, when a story is done. And when, a, and that is to say that maybe there's aspects of the narrative that clearly are happening. Some movies end and you're still wondering, well, what's going to happen next? And some songs or pieces of music are exactly like that, that they're a, they're a snapshot of an emotion. And you're not going to solve the entire problem of a relationship in a song by keep, by like, keep, you keep writing about it. A lot of times it's a snapshot and you have to let the listener figure out where that story goes. 
Incredible. Well, Vernon, I know we have some amazing Milwaukee artists here and some fans online. Um, does anyone have any questions for Vernon? I'll come out and, and bring you a mic. Um, I'm Brian McLean Jr. I go by Sheila's son. I am a um, artist, producer, creative, um, art curator as well. And my question for Vernon is, mm-hmm. um, who was the person that introduced you to the music side of the business? And also, um, how did you take the information and how old were you? Hmm. Who was the person that introduced me to the music side of the business? Um, I had a friend, I still have a friend named, uh, named Gary and his older brother, John was, he was a, he also had done some concert promoting and things. And, um, and he, I was maybe, uh, man, I was maybe 17 and John pulled me to the side and had some pretty sage advice for me. And he was the first older person to um, to really look at me and say, hey man, you know, what do you think about this and that? You know, and, and um, in terms of where I wanted to go with music. And, and um, I, th- I think about uh, John as a, as a person who's my first person to talk about the business part of it. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Vernon. Uh, thanks for being here. My name's Eli. Um, I sing hey, in Eli. a band called The Girl. Okay. I guess we're talking now about getting our art together. Um, and as an artist, mm-hmm. I'm also a perfectionist. I think a lot of us probably share that trait. Um, and you mentioned mm-hmm. kind of your come up, how a lot of it just kind of you're putting yourself out there. And then things serendipitously happen and you meet who you're supposed to meet. Um, How did you, I guess, kind of get over that fear of, okay, my art's not ready, you know, because we all have this ideal, this this, uh, vision in our head of what we want it to be in the end, Mm -hmm. which usually gets in the way. Um, But how did you, um, I guess, kind of get over that and just like put yourself out there and then just trust the process? Well, I mean, think of um, a boxer, right? Um, he's training. He's doing all the things. He's running six six miles a day. He's doing his sit-ups, his push-ups. He's doing all the things. Eventually, he's going to have to get in the ring, and he might get hit in the face. And... I think there's a great quote, like everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face. And um, part of it, I mean, we want to avoid things like embarrassment and we want to avoid things like failure, but failure and embarrassment are wonderful teachers. Um, And you might be surprised what's on the other side of a terrible gig or I can I can tell you I've had many disastrous situations and um the thing is 
just like getting knocked down and getting hit in the face and knocked down on the mat. Well, you could stay on the mat and the fight's over. You get knocked down and that's it. Or you can get up off the mat and then you can notice that your opponent does something that they always lead. They always do something that's a tell and then you can take advantage of that. Not that I'm trying to compare this to MMA or boxing, but um, failure is crucial. Things, you're not going to get better. You know, honestly, um, I understand the impulse. You want to, nobody wants to be laughed at in the wrong way. Nobody wants to be invalidated. Nobody wants to, um, you know, go through it. But I think it's it's an inevitable it's a stage of the process. It's a stage of the process. And it takes a, a certain amount of grit and courage. And also it helps to not take oneself all too seriously at all times. You know, uh, that's uh, everybody's journey is going to take them through all the things. Eli's an athlete, too, so he knows how to train. He knows how to, he knows how to box. You know how to do it. Oh, so, so, so you know, so you know what I'm saying? You know, you're not going to win every fight. You know, that's, it's, you know, someone's going to come. <laughs> you know, that's the way it goes. I love it. Yeah. Hi, Vernon. Um, big fan. My name Hi. is Oscar. Um, I go by Oscar Tom, T-H-O-M. I'm an artist, producer, engineer. I go to Berkeley myself. Um, and I think that one of the things that I and my contemporaries struggle a lot with is wrestling with the opinions of others. I think a lot of us are scared Mm -hmm. of other people's opinions, even though it's kind of our job to make people feel a certain Mm -hmm. way. I was wondering if you had any insights on how a young artist can stay true to themselves, confident and grounded and who they are, what the art that they want to make, but also be open to criticism in a healthy way and open to the opinions of others. Um, well, the first thing is, it's, a, it's important to have a love for music from the top. You have to really... I think, well, well, you know, I, I, I could, I had to speak for myself because different people have different ways of feeling about that. I, I love music and, and all different kinds of music. And that has helped me through a lot of the ups and downs of people's opinions. And when some, like when criticism is constructive, one thing is that it's it, it it points out something very specific. It's not just a broad, you know, tearing down. Um, and part of it is not to take it personally. It's really important and it's very difficult. It's very difficult to not take it personally, but it's incredibly important to not take it personally because... Um, Maybe the person criticizing isn't take isn't giving it personally. Sometimes the offhand comment 
that's not like can be more devastating than a, a directed attack or what feels like an attack. And the thing is, like these days, because of social media, it's almost become a sport and there's a lot of toxicity out there. And um, um, I think dealing with that is also dealing with, on a level, dealing with your mental health, you know? And I think it's really important. Um, it's really important, self that kind of self-care. The other thing is having people that's your crew that love what you do, that really feel you is, is totally important. You, you need to have someone you can talk to. I, I can tell you that there are people who I turned to when it was really bleak. And, um, and one of the greatest things that they did for me was just listen. And some of the advice I got was funny. Um, and, um, and, you know, you have to have the kind of people around you that are gonna, I don't want to say something corny, like lift you up, but the kind of people that you know are on your bond, like that's really important. Um, and, um, and that'll see you through. You have to also have a bit of kindness and, um, you got to give yourself, you know, you have to, to really, uh, be kind to yourself. And I know if you're a perfectionist and, and there's a negative, there's an interior before you get to the external critics, there's can be a terrible interior critic, you know, and, um, it's not easy these days, but I think it's very important to find love and fellowship for yourself and also with people that you can be honest, who will be, who can be honest with you and you know that they're not trying to hurt you. That's crucial. I love that. Hey, how's it going, Vernon? Um, I go by the name of Wave Chappelle. Uh, I'm an artist, a uh, rapper specifically, you know what I'm saying? But um, mm -hmm. artist, uh, curator mm -hmm. as well. Um, I wanted to know... Um, as an artist, how do you, what are your thoughts on balancing being an artist and um, balancing uh, just being a human? You know what I'm saying? A human. Because, you know, if you're great at your mm -hmm. art, after a while, you gain a certain notoriety or people know who you are, um, things of that nature. So how would you, what's your take on uh, balancing being consumed in your art and being uh, at the highest level with that, but then also balancing uh, being a human as well? Well... I will tell you this. I treat everybody the same. I mean that to say, I don't treat everybody the same, but I can honestly say people I've met, I've met a lot of famous people and some of those people are wonderful. And some of those people are very guarded, of course, because they, because people are always coming at them. And um, I met some people that are mean. You know, um, but one of the things for me is I, I take people as they come. And, um, if I, if I'm, if I really dig an artist, like I met Georgia Ann Muldrow, um, yesterday for the first time and met Kamasi Washington and we, man, we were playing some of Bowie's music and it was so lovely. And, and Georgia is such an incredible artist. 
But you know, she's 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 mad cool. She's mad, she's genuinely cool. And and I appreciated meeting somebody who's really down to earth. Um, you know, one of one of the things that helped me is is really not treating famous people different different than I meet anybody. I mean, meet anybody that's intelligent, someone that makes that's funny, someone that's got insight, whether that person is well known or not. I take the information of what they have to say because you never know when somebody is going to give you wisdom or where it's going to come from. And the whole hierarchical thing that people get into is whack to me. You know, that whole hierarchical, like you can't look at this person. You can't, you know, I, I, I find that bananas and I don't dig it. And, um, and that's one of the ways I've been able, it, it's a weird thing. You know, suddenly you're, someone's handing you a statue. It's beautiful. You know, you worked for it, you did your things, but you know, you're a human being and you, you know, I, I recently, um, there's a brother that just passed on who is uh, close in my community named Luke Mon Brown. And, um, you know, he he basically had a, had a heart transplanted, and and, uh, and basically, you know, it, it, you know, he he took that chance and it didn't work. And the main thing about Luke Man is that Luke Man was the most one of the most positive people, one hundred percent. And I think about him and his partner Laronda, and I just am filled with gratitude for knowing that person. And those are those those are the things you got to be real about. I think it's important to stay real, you know, because we're mortal. Real talk. Amazing. Hi, hi, Vernon. Hi, uh, online uh, viewers. Uh, my name's Steve. Hey. I'm actually uh, with Whammy, which is the Wisconsin area music industry, and uh, we're so honored to have mm-hmm. you uh, live streaming with us, and also to have Emily here at No Studios. Uh, for those of you who haven't checked out her book, I've, I picked up a book here. Be sure to check it out. It's awesome. Um, I think uh, everybody will enjoy it. But uh, my question for you, and uh, again, also, I forgot to mention whammy.org. Everybody in Wisconsin locally should join and check out our new website. But uh, more importantly, I'd love to hear your thoughts on networking and putting together a team to uh, build your career. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, I think it's a really, really important thing when you talk about a team. That's like, that's like who are the people who are going to be part of your thing? Like everything from who's going to handle your legal affairs, who's handling your money or giving you advice with that, who's going to tell you, yo, man, you shouldn't wear that jacket. There's stylists, you know, people that do those kind of everything from top to bottom. And part of that is, you know, looking around and seeing, you know, if you like what somebody's doing or, or, or listening to what people are saying, you know, when they, when they say, yo, man, I did a thing with this attorney and he's really cool, you know, maybe reach out to that person. Um, I think it's very important to, to, that's one thing that the socials are kind of good for, um, is to check out what different people are doing in different aspects. Like, you know, like you may not be that articulate about describing what it is that you do. And, um, you know, there are people who write, who write, can write a better description 
of what you do than you might do, you know? So I think it's important to, to be able to look out and find people who, um, who get you. It's important to get God. It's important to get got by people. And that's the whole thing about having a team. I have a friend who's about to do a gallery show and, um, and she found this uh, person who she, she, you know, a, a woman that, that she met her and she was like, she pushed her kind of said, nah, man, whatever. And, and this woman was like, no, I really wanted to work with you. So the people that, that really see something, you know, they will come kind of show up. And, and now she's doing a, a gallery show um, with this curator. And I think it's going to go great, you know, so. Um, yeah, you gotta, you know, it's important to meet the right folks. And and also you got to pay attention to where folks are at, you know, if they're, if they're talking bad about other people, and even if they're, they're cute and they're funny about that, they'll, they will be talking about you behind your back. So you, you need to, to understand the people that you're hooking up with, you know? That's right. And you do have the best social media person ever in Tim. So huge shout out to Tim. Um, we'll do two more yeah, questions. Uh, first of all, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate you for everything that you do, all your music, and just for being here tonight. Uh, my name is Zion Marion of Crossing Circles, a creative agency here that helps creatives just bring their creative uh, minds into reality. Uh, but my question personally is, mm -hmm. what are some principles that you personally live by? Oh, okay. Principles that I personally live by. The thing done well is a reward in itself. That's one principle. So the idea of doing something well because um, that's the point, as opposed to thinking about the reward it's going to give you on the other end. Like, to me, um, when you come at it from a right perspective, um, a generous perspective, not a selfish perspective. You know, all the things that happen positive, they're almost an outgrowth of putting in, um, putting in uh, the best work you can at the time. Um, don't be afraid to, I, I'm not afraid to ask dumb questions, you know. Um, you know, I don't come at, music like I'm an expert. I'm a, I'm a fellow traveler. I'm a fellow traveler and uh, I'm grateful. Uh, I think it's important to be, to have gratitude um, for the people that have helped you. Um, and, um, you know, one of the principles is, is like, um, not to complain so much, you know, like, you know, be, be less complaining about like, you know, like I got a bunch of guitars, right? Well, I could complain about something that bothers myself about my playing, or I could pick the guitar up and, and start to play it. The guitar is not going to play itself. Right. And, and whatever I'm struggling with, you know, not make it, don't, don't, I don't want to have a conversation, a negative conversation, um, about what I'm doing. One okay, one thing that I also live by for sure is it's important in terms of performance to not make the gig, to not 
make the gig bigger in my mind than it is. That is to say, I try to keep my desire to play, to be cool or play well, I try to keep that to a minimum and try to keep a really open mind in terms of, you know, because I'm, I'm more of an improviser than I am someone that plays the same thing all the time. And um, my desire is is a barrier to me fulfilling what I want. So the fact that I get the visualization is important, but you can become attached. I can find myself attached to the end result. And I found when I'm not attached to the end result and I'm actually available to be in the flow, that's when things really happen. I live by that. Uh, my name's uh, Dale Nook. Hi, Vernon. I'm a community organizer. And um, my mantra hey, was fly like an eagle. And um, Steve Miller came to Milwaukee last summer and he added a riff, um, fly like an eagle, build it up. And that really informed me this last midterm election. I was wondering how your music affects your activism. I know you mentioned the Innocence Project, and it just came out with Harry and Meghan in their uh, biography to bring a lot of attention to it. So do you use your music to bring attention to social issues? Well, well, definitely. We, you know, um, you know, we, we, we've been involved with voting and things like that and homeless homeless situation um it's important to have things you believe in also because things are so polarized right now and um i would say like on my twitter feed i'm like vrnt22 v-u-r-n-t-2-2 on twitter and and it's funny one of the things that's interesting is that not all all the people I engage not all my all my fans are not lefties. They're not all liberals. Some of those people are more conservative. And it's interesting to have conversations with people that you disagree with because you know everyone has a perspective. And even if you strength, even if you disagree, there's a way to 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 hear each other. But you know, at a certain point, you know, like, like yo, you have to be I have to find myself having to say, yo, man, I'm not with that. But also it's important not to just with people you disagree with to, to there's a whole very dark thing that's going on in the country that I, I really am not feeling. And um, where people are being objectified on in, in a big way and, and I'm not cool with it. Um, and one thing in music, you know, my band is called living color, right? And, and one of the things, that very statement is a statement of defiance, of positive defiance. And um, and that's something I hold to, you know, not to hurt nobody's feelings, but, you know, I'm going to, you know, it's important to say what you're saying, to say what you're saying and not stutter with it. You know, interestingly enough, when I think about Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali was a remarkable figure because he would he would get in everyone's face. But you know, Muhammad Ali also had this incredible, he had a knack for also, he was saying what he was saying and not stuttering, but he also gave people their human dimension. He was also a person who was very funny, very witty, and he used all of his skills to make his point. I think it's very important to do. 
for myself, it's very important to do to engage with people. Even when, I mean, there's certain lines that's, that you know we're gonna we're not gonna be cool. Like I'm not cool with the fascist thing. I'm not at all cool with the racist thing. I'm not cool with the sexist thing. I'm not cool with the homophobic thing. I'm not. And it's the thing about even something like LGBTQ rights. I mentioned early on. There's an artist named Arthur Rames, and you know, great, incredible guitarist, incredible saxophone player a beast of a piano player. And, um, you know, it came out the art that, that this art, this artist, when we were all young came out that he was gay. And in my community, my group of friends, we had to figure out, you know, people were like, well, you know, they, people would say, oh, well, he's just a drop the F bomb. But you know, a lot of us, we already loved Arthur. He was an amazing musician. And so many people was like, I don't care. That's our boy, and we're going to stand with our boy. And that person changed, you know, my stance on the LGBTQ community. It's not political correctness. It's because someone in my life that I love who's a beast as a musician, he changed my life, you know? And that's that's the whole thing. You know, we we have to be, we got to see the human in, in, in all of us. Uh, and that can be a challenge right about now. But it's important, very important to me. That's right. Well, Vernon, thank you so much for your time tonight. It really means the world to all of us. And yeah, I, I hope we really brought to life Get Your Art Together. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Vernon. We'll be in touch. Have a great night. All right. You too now. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, for you guys, does any, you know, just to wrap up, do you guys have any additional thoughts on getting your art together? How do you guys know when you're ripe and ready to, to record? Does anyone want to add to that? No worries if not. So I envision it by just having the, um, like your resources. So it, everyone in here has um, their own niche, their own foundations. So as we come here today, we should all network and figure out how we can help each other. Um, so I'll say if I have an unfinished project and I know that, you have an outlet, maybe I can swing my ideas to you, you can swing your ideas to someone else. So I think just starting here, having um, our niche and our resources and talking together can be um, effective way to get that um, concluded. Agreed. I, I wanted to bring everyone together to, to network a little bit. Um, I saw another hand. Uh, just to put in the work. Um, I think sometimes we lose ourselves in, some in the process, uh, and especially in our emotions. And so to be able to just lose yourself in the work, um, like Vernon said, uh, it's a piece um, and it's a part of his life. And so to be able to find that for me, that creating is uh, meditation. I can't really sit down most of the time and I get a little anxious, but uh, it's different when I sit down and play a bass or it's different when I sit down and play um, with my paintings. It's different when I actually do something that is creative. And so that's my meditation. So don't forget that this is what brings us peace outside of what other people may project onto us. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, Eli. I uh, actually just started... Um well, I don't know. It's always ongoing. We know recording and working on a project is is always ongoing and you might come back with things um, from a year ago and some things might come in a day. Um, but it's really, I guess I'll just speak from my personal experience. I'm On one hand, I'm never ready. 
Um, my art is never ready. There's always something in my head that I want to bring to life. Um, and then on the other hand, I'm always ready. Um, whenever that inspiration strikes, as Vernon said, you just got to record it. Um, you know, I, I can get an idea and then hold it in my head and be like, oh, this is what I want to do with it. But then nothing ever happens. You know, nothing happens unless I just sit down and, and go. Um, so I think there's a, you know, we have these ideals. We have, we want to bring these sounds in our head to life. Um, but usually what happens when we just sit down and then let the muse take us wherever it takes us, uh, we come up with something that surprises us that's actually more true to ourselves than we could even conceive in our head. Um, so yeah, I'm never, I'm never going to be ready to record what I think I want to record, but I'll always be ready to record what I need to make. Um, so I guess that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, yeah. Oscar. This is great stuff. Uh, everything that I'm about to say is also a reminder to myself. So I'm talking to myself also because I need this talk too. Um, I think um, I'm an overthinker. I think a lot of artists and creative people use their minds in a certain way where we have a hard time slowing down and it's necessary to slow down to stimulate the creative process and to be true to oneself. Um, and I think it's all, for me, it's all about subverting the overthinking mind and throwing myself up against the wall and writing whatever comes to my head and, like a stream of consciousness style, it's probably going to be really ugly altogether. And it's probably, it might sound terrible, but there might be one little thing in there. So um, I'm just always in a state of remembering why I do what I do and trying to remember what I, why I do what I do and that there was something inside me that I want to give to the world. And if I can just subvert that overthinking mind, then that can actually come out. I hope that resonates with you guys as well. It resonates with every human. And um, I, you know, I feel like what Vernon was speaking to a little bit or how I interpret it is like explore meditation too. you know, even if it's a second, 30 seconds, a minute, I'm a big meditator. Um, so I think that can help, you know, the overthinking mind. Um, hi, my name's Ethan Keller. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I just want to thank Emily um, for coming back and bringing this program to Milwaukee because Milwaukeeans, um, Milwaukeeans rock and are very creative. And uh, there's a lot of great music coming out of here, jazz and punk and hip hop. And we have lots of good roots of all that stuff. Um, and I could probably name drop with Emily for a long time. And But I'm 44 now. I've been playing since I was 13. Um, showcased at South by Southwest, uh, Nemo, I met Derek Sivers. One of the, one of the, one of the quotes I live by Derek Sivers said, um, talking about inspiration today. Um, sometimes people will ask you to get involved in something. And it's a famous quote from Derek Sivers. It says, I only get involved in things that I can't say no to. And that's kind of how I'm approaching stuff sometimes lately. There's only so many hours in the day. You know, I got my boy here. There's businesses to run there's gigs and tours to do don't get involved in too many things unless you can't say no to them um 
but yeah, uh, I guess my question is, um, after somebody like me who's been playing 30 years, um, has a bunch of albums coming out, kind of saw the advent of the internet um, slay the music industry in a certain way, the amalgamation of labels, the um, conglomeration of the telecommunications industry, um, Napster, all kinds of things. And then, of course, the streaming industry kind of siphoning money away from artists and um, in no small fashion. Um, to stay true to my art, I've gone through a whole bunch of weird stages, and, and one of them was, frankly, do you want to quit music? I didn't, I didn't want to be on stage. Sometimes you're sad and you don't even want to be up there. I've gone through that, but I got a family to feed, so nobody's going to pay me to do anything else besides play music. That's my career. But how do you stay inspired after you've been in, your, in a career for 30 years and had some kind of moderate success, but otherwise feel like you've fallen through the cracks? Um, I'm recording a double album called Delusions of Grand Avenue. And it's the story of my life, having these delusions of what a music career should be, of what uh, America is, of what um, being a man is, of what being a dad is, of what being an artist, being a professional is. So I guess my question is for Emily... What's your best advice to keep some of these youngins inspired so that 30 years down the road, they're still making art? Well, I do think that's more of a Vernon question, but um, I think you just answered it. You are making a double album about your life, right? And listen to some of the questions that came up tonight or what Vernon was talking about getting out on his bike, like it's experiencing the sunrise, noticing the water, connecting with one another. So, you know, we can go as far as our mind will take us. Um, but I think what you're doing is incredibly inspiring, making a double album about your life. I mean, does anyone else want to answer that? Yeah, please. Um, tell me your name one more time. Ethan. Uh, first, that's a crazy fire album name that's like hard that is like yeah. that's amazing i love that yeah exactly um but as an artist myself um i can identify with uh maybe sometimes uh being uninspired or like you know as you age start to age or you know even as the um music landscape starts to shift or change you may feel like you're not um you know maybe keeping up with it or whatever the case may be i think that um one of the things that like my trick to always stay inspired is using life life itself as the ultimate battery of inspiration because you know long as life is happening there's always something to inspire you whether it be a positive inspiration negative inspiration um there's but life just in general uh it never stops right like life continues to go on as long as you're living you know what i'm saying so um i always like to use that as like a battery when there's nothing else around me to uh inspire and then far as like the change within like the music industry and things like that, um, you know, all we can do is uh, just adapt, you know what I'm saying? Eventually just study it uh, and kind of evolve around that, you know what I'm saying? But um, definitely keep doing your thing, man. That's like your album name is fire. I can't. I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Wave, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 27. That's pretty awesome. 27. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, just um, 
what you said just brought something up for me that um, Vernon said um, when someone asked him, um, what are the principles that you live by, I think. And one thing he said about art was that the reward is in the process. You know, I think um, one thing that easily discourages me is when I have this idea of a result or um, some something, some external reward in my mind that I think my work is going to bring me. And then if that doesn't happen, it's really easy to no longer be inspired. Um, and also I kind of learned that inspiration is bullshit. I mean, you've been an artist for way longer than I've even been alive. So you kind of know that you might not be inspired, but you'll sit down, play your instrument and then something will come to you, you know? Um, but that, uh, you know, the, the point of art is art, you know, it's, it's, uh, and I think when you do it as a career, which I can't say I do yet, hopefully I do, it probably, you know, brings some different um, difficulties when you're thinking about feeding your son and whatnot. Um, but as an artist, you know, you're an artist. Um, like the the end goal is the art, you know, so, yeah. Amazing. And then just one last comment. Oh, two more. Two more comments and, and then, then we'll wrap up for tonight. Oh, I, I, will, I will make it so quick. Um, th those were two great points. Falling, Eli, falling in love with the process is like the biggest thing that, that I remind myself of and that I try to remind myself of. Wave, you're, what you said reminded me of a quote by David Bowie, who's like my hero. Um, and he said, uh, life is fantastic it never ends, it only changes. Um, and that that was huge for me. So what you said was huge for me. Um, breaks have been really important to me. Um, and having a music, having music as your job, like that might be hard. But so like, I, I don't know um, how I would facilitate that, but I, I'm in between albums right now. I'm about to record another one. And um, I, I've just taken a break and just seen what my life is like without my process. And I've come to the conclusion that I don't want to live in a world where I can't make the things that I want to make and I can't touch the people spiritually that I want to affect. So that's my insight on that. I don't know. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you, Oscar. And one more, and then we'll just give a quick preview for what we're doing on Saturday. Uh, it's Steve from Whammy again. Uh, I just want to relate to you guys how important it is the opportunity you have in front of you to have Emily here in Milwaukee with this podcast. Uh, you know, most of us have family members or uh, relatives that are into uh, health and fitness. And every January, everybody breaks out the, uh, you know, I'm going to join the health club and spend, you know, January, February, March uh, building up my health. And what happens at the end of January, their membership you know, goes by the way, they get the bill and they never see that health club again. This is your opportunity to take your career path to another level. We are so honored to have your, your podcast here for the next several weeks. So it's up to you to take advantage of that and also spread the word uh, that this is available because you are the serious people that want to make music your career. And uh, we have a great opportunity in front of us uh, here locally and streaming to uh, learn so much from uh, Industry Insider. So thanks again.
my publicist, everyone. No, thank you. I really appreciate that. And thank you guys so much for coming, for getting this rolling. Thanks to everyone checking this out online. We will be back on Saturday with a uh, noon door time, 12.30 central start time, where we're going to be talking about your pre-recording marketing foundation. So text message club, email list, social media. And I'm going to be chatting with my friend, Kanita Hickman, who will be right here in person. So we'll see you there. Thanks again for coming today.